Hey team, welcome to episode 64 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So in this episode of Transition Talk, we're going to cover the differences in a transition based on where you are geographically. What if we took the same practice in Dallas, Texas, picked it up and moved it to Big Spring? What would be different? what expectations would differ with the buyer and the seller. Keep in mind that there is a practice for everyone, and today's episode isn't a for or against rural or urban, but more of a the more you know for those looking to settle in either the city or the country. So it's been a while. Mr. Loretto, how are you? I am doing awesome. You know, girl, I'm a big city boy. You know, I born and raised in Dallas on the concrete. My experience with country is it's awesome, but I'm just a city boy. I think I'll always be a city boy, but I'm doing good. It was good to hang out last night. It was super fun hanging out with the team and doing a little happy hour and dinner and uh, everybody's hugging and making fun of each other. It was, it's like family. Yeah, lots of little uh, one-offs about everyone, all the team. Oh, oh yeah. Blackmail yeah. material at this point. Yeah, I thought about it when I was uh, washing my feet this morning in the in the shower about one of our team members with that issue, but we'll have to keep that between us. I'm, these people don't listen to our podcast anyway. So, uh, <laughs> what's happening with you, girl? Oh, not much. We um speaking of uh, you know small town and rural and urban, we went and watched A uh, and M whoop play Denver. Oh, yeah. That was close. That was so close. close. It was such a rough, ugly game, but we came out on top, and that's all that matters. I heard those, I heard the fans there are horrible. I heard they're like really mean. No offense to anyone who isn't from Colorado. You're lovely. Um, But we experienced some like, yeah, some pretty like kind of rude fans. I was watching the game as well. And a couple of Aggies were like, man, they are rude. I was like, it's still like a fun game to me. (laughs) Like A&M showed up in Denver. Uh, There's a lot of maroon floating around. So it was, it was a really good time. But you know, like again, going back to that like whole rule thing like college station just like has a special place in my heart and i just feel like aggies in general they're just so we're just so dang nice i don't know i mean i'm sure i'm sure there's probably some rude ones out there but you know you're giving us a bad name see you're, you're nice when we're all on your good side but I, i've seen some christy side you hey. know <laughs> look at the look <laughs> that's just uh that's just um uh, i'm just standing up for myself i guess you know Okay, that's true. Very true. (laughs) All right. So we're going to dive into this topic. Um, And before we get going, I just want to put a little disclaimer out there because, you know, I need those. I want to address the buyers who are listening, right? Like, remember, and I want to make sure this is very clear. The first step of any, like, I'm going to buy a practice. The first step, and if you've listened to any episode of this podcast, hopefully this is like, duh, I already know this, Christy, but... Do you like and love the location and the doctor, right? Do not move to Big Spring, Texas with a booming population of 28,000 and every mom and shop pop that exists. And no, if you like shopping at Target and Nordstrom's and stopping by the Chick-fil-A after you go grab your shopping bags, like that will not work for you, right? Like you have to understand what you like and the way you want to live and where you want to raise a family. And if you like those more urban things, do not move to a town that doesn't have those because either you or your spouse, right? Or your family will eventually not want to be there and you will want to move somewhere else, right? And this is true, like culturally, like depending on like what your religion is and like whatever that is, right? We have talked to multiple people who move somewhere because it's a good business opportunity and they think that they can acclimate and then they can't. So You have to know at the foundation of what you're doing, what your why is and where you want to plant yourself before diving into a practice purchase. So 
that is the caveat that I need to talk about because there are always people who call us and say, I will move anywhere. The numbers just need to make sense. And that always makes me nervous because they're always like single and young and they like they're driven, which I love, but then they're not kind of thinking ahead of what that means to then like sell that rule practice that now has a limited buyer base and they want to live, you know, across the country at the ocean or wherever it might be. So well, and the other thing too is that a lot of times these young buyers, they're so driven on to make money and because of their debt. I mean, it's interesting how the, the debt always drives, you know, the person, but they're such in debt. And, you know, there's just definitely this known thing that, that you know, rural practices are just more profitable, you know, and they are. And so you've got this, I'm in debt, I'm driven. There's a higher demand for me, the buyer in the rural area. They make more money. So therefore, that's why that's put, that push is just there. But then you've got to go back to that fundamental thing of, do I want to be here? Just like we've said many times, you know, before, is, is this the best place for the family? So there's a lot of conversations that go back and forth about location and, and rural versus, um, you know, kind of the, the big town. So uh, I'm glad we're addressing this yep, today. Absolutely. And there are a lot of differences in the process. And clearly, there's no like set rule if it's rural versus urban. And by the way, that's such a hard word for me to say. So I'm just going to like flub that word all this whole episode and everyone's going to make fun of it. But like, <laughs> so valuation is one of the differences in this. And I say valuation, but what I really mean is price, right? Like, so those words are synonymous for some people, but what a practice values at, and we've talked about this, I think in an episode or two before this is sometimes different than what it actually can kind of bear in the market and what someone's willing to pay for it, right? And the terms of your transition and what your desire is to be in the place and kind of what, you know, what's going to happen with that seller all will drive how different maybe that valuation is from price, right? So sometimes there's a big discrepancy, sometimes there's no discrepancy, and that's all going to be dependent on all these other like maybe tangible, but likely non-tangible factors that are coming into play. So when we talk about valuation and price, just kind of keep that in mind. So you just mentioned it, right? Profitability of a practice is clearly driving the valuation and driving the price. And it is common that we see more profitable practices in the rural locations my opinion is because of a couple factors. One, just purely like number wise, typically you're dealing with cheaper real estate. You're dealing with typically cheaper staff and you have a bigger pool of people who are coming to you and you're likely going to be one of the few options. And so you just have a little bit more flexibility. Is that kind of where you were going with that too? Yeah. I mean, no doubt. I mean, let's just if you take a look at a couple of practices. Uh, you know, it's a million three practice in Big Spring, Texas, and a million three practice in Plano, Texas, you're going to have, you know, slight variances on profitability. You can have a pedo or GP type practice, and you're going to have, you know, a good solid 5% higher profit margin traditionally in that rural area, just because of that fixed cost is just going to be the real estate, the taxes, all that, all those things are just going to be less. The cost employed the people are going to be going to be less. So you start adding up that small amount of one or 2%, on each of these areas. And all of a sudden it's a 5% difference, which means the practice is more profitable. So I may take like a million three practice, like a, a PETA or GP, and I may get $1.2 million for that same practice and have a 90% valuation if I'm in a very desired area, like a Dallas, Houston, San Antonio, some type of, you know, in the, the same Texas market, or, you know, it could be a, a, a different market like a Boston that just drives like these super, you know, high values and prices. But man, you get me out to some, you know, rural area where 
the guy's been looking for three, four, five years for a pedo or a GP to come to that certain area. I mean, even though the thing may be more profitable, it's just a demand thing. And so you may want to list it because your buddy in Dallas listed his practice for 1.2 on the same $1.3 million business. But the reality is that buyer knows that they're a little bit more in the driver's seat. And so we just know that you need to probably expect a little bit less if you're the seller. Expect as a buyer that you're going to be able to, you know, maybe pick apart a little bit on equipment, maybe pick apart a little bit on now it's a 30% population of Medicaid in, the, in that practice or something. You can be a little more picky versus your urban, you know, it is what it is. Like you got eight other buyers that are standing in line. You kind of need to pick your battle. Yeah, totally agree. And I think that the way you're going to transition matters to that value, right? Like if I'm buying into this like longstanding partnership that, you know, is in a more rural area of a state, that's very different than like, I'm going to find a buyer and do a walkaway sale. Like those are different animals. They're, you know, you're buying into something that's feeding you essentially, and you're kind of adding to that and kind of growing that. And so I think there's a difference too in that partnership versus kind of that walkaway sale when we talk about rural versus urban and like the price impact as well. I 100% agree. When you're talking partnership, you have basically reduced all the risk. It's the young person's coming in. It's a lot of times too, I know we'll cover this, but sometimes too, you may knock on my door and I'm not even ready to quote unquote, bring somebody in, but because you're coming, I want to open that up. I want to make investments with the expansion, the assistance, uh, putting in the other chairs. And so we're going to grow this thing together. And I, I can, in my opinion, can command a higher value in those situations, even in that in that rural area, because it's such an easy process for this young person just to come right in and to transition those patients right over. So I think it's fair and reasonable that the value would, would hold from a walkaway sell. Uh, I think it's a different story. You know, I think that we could, if I'm a buyer, I'm probably going to be a little more picky, like I said, and, and be able to, to maybe look at offering more on the maybe a 70, 75%, you know, somewhere in that type of range versus a higher value that may come with that yep, partner. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes into this timing of transition too, right? And, and I think that you kind of mentioned something you said, you know, the buyer's more kind of in the driver's seat. And I think that that's true, right? I think if we're in a rural practice and we're doing kind of more of a walk away and, you know, we're looking for a buyer, both the timing and the price, there's a little bit more of a driver's seat aspect for a buyer that comes into town, right? Because there's less of you. And so you have a little bit more control over the process. And we can talk about that. But I want to first caveat and say that sometimes we talk to buyers who are like, well, there's no one else that will like, there's not any other options. And so I can offer 50% of collections in this super profitable practice and they'll have to take it. And one, I don't like that mentality because I think that like you're buying something and it should be a fair and reasonable price and you shouldn't take advantage of the fact of where a practice is based on that, right? Like we still are like paying for someone's work in this profitability and it's still better than starting up and kind of having to build that from scratch. But we have to be honest that there is a little bit of an edge that a buyer has in that type of market when there aren't a lot of other people at the table from both timing and, and value. So I think that's an important concept to understand too. Yeah, it depends. I think it, it depends on specialty as well. I mean, if you're a in the Donis or a surgeon, you're going to a certain area and there's just only one surgeon there and there's a line out the door and the guy or gal's like in their 70s, then you will see. I mean, I, I've seen practices, especially on the surgery side, where we're talking down to the equipment, you know, that that's actually being purchased. 
because of the demand of that surgeon coming in and just saying, look, I'm going to do a startup here. and I'm not really interested in buying all the goodwill. And so you have to know as a seller what market you're in, what specialty, what type of practice do you have, and then you need a game plan. You know, so you don't want to wait at that the very end. I mean, that that guy or gal maybe had a, a $2 million practice at one point and literally sold the $2 million asset for $150,000 for equipment. And that's just sad. I mean, there is a really good opportunity to do this the right way as an owner. Remember the five reasons you own, one of them is the equity in the business. And if you can't capitalize on that throughout that journey, you're just leaving that multi-million dollar asset on the table. And it's just it's very unfortunate. And I see it all the yep, time. 100%. And I think that, you know, when we talk about sellers, you know, and kind of their timing, this is a big question we always get of like, hey, like, when do I start, you know, looking? And I think clearly where you are matters a lot. And when you start looking and when you start thinking about transition and clearly like, our general answer is like, as soon as you start thinking about transition, it's probably too late. Like you probably should start thinking about it well before you think you're ready, if nothing else to make your practice kind of what you need it to be. But I think that if you are in an urban setting, right, and you are in DFW Dallas, you might want to think about it, but you don't need to start actually like initiating a transition plan until you're very ready, unless your practice is big and you need to like help and, you know, you do something specialized. But if you're just, you know, kind of a GP, have a practice, one doctor are looking for someone to come in to take that over, you will find someone very quickly in most circumstances, right? So if you need to work or want to work for two more years and you're a solid one doctor practice, like the people who are going to be interested in your practice are going to be able to do that production. And so they may want you short-term, but they're not going to want you long-term. And so your kind of actual action time is going to be much less than someone who's big spring Texas, who might not have as many, their pool might not be as big. They may need to start looking one, two, three years before they're ready to go because finding the right person takes time. And then more than likely that person's going to be moving from somewhere else to where you are to buy your practice. So there's notice period and moving. And if they've got families like school and kids and all the jazz to be able to come to you. So I think that's an important thing to think about as well. And then on the flip side, you made a good point when we were talking about this earlier is just from a buyer's perspective, this kind of leads to our next piece. But if the buyer happens to already be in that small rural town, like what considerations they need to have. But before we go there, any other thoughts on kind of just timing and kind of how a seller needs to think about that? Well, we see it a lot when we're called down to go to the uh, Arcane Waters consults to give them some kind of consulting advice on their clients. So typically, the Arcane Waters advisor you know, calls down you know, one of us, uh, NDP team, and, hey, what do you think about this practice? Uh, what do you think about this location? You know, Bob or Jane wants to do this for three or four more years. It's going to be a walkaway sell, or they're looking for an associate. This is the practice numbers and the building and all of those things. So essentially... You know, we're doing our best to try to assess, you know, like the timing, what you know, based on what they've shared with us. And so I agree when someone says, I'm going to do a walk away, sell and live in a really nice, desirable area and they're three years away. I'm like, well, we don't need a market, you know, but at the same time, if it's in that, you know, maybe a North Carolina area that is not a Charlotte, you know, not the triangle area, it's like, you know, Eastern North Carolina or something, it may take a little time. So I'd rather us start marking it now. We might get lucky, pick up a D3 or D4. Maybe they're going to do a residency. Maybe they engage to the girl that's got the connections to that area. Let's start playing that game early. Worst case scenario, 
I would tell my seller is we have a buyer too soon. Worst case scenario, we bring them in as an associate sooner than what we thought and we work with them, then create you know the sale. We may even decide to do a staggered sale where we create the plan where they buy half now and half later. But we've got buyer, you know, we, we have them. And so that's that opportunity that we always want to take advantage of is on those more difficult transitions by location and specialty. We got to plan early, early ahead. And then you're reducing the stress that you're going to put on yourself, seller, if you don't play this game out correct. Buyers, same thing, you know, reduce the stress, market, market, market yourself to all these locations so that we can pick apart and find the best opportunity for you. And then we've got a lot of choices. hundred percent. Absolutely. And then that kind of the competition, the demographics, the non-compete, this is kind of the next area that I think kind of differs when we're talking about a rural and urban practice. And they all kind of go together because that non-compete, right? If we just talk super high level, every sale is going to have a non-compete. And that's kind of that protection of goodwill that the seller is kind of transitioning to the buyer. And that matters a lot, no matter what, but how big that radius is, right? And if you remember from earlier episodes, a non-compete is a certain number of years and a certain number of mileage that that seller can't set up shop or practice elsewhere and kind of risk taking away those patients, right? So it's a risk that we're trying to mitigate through that non-compete. And the competition, the demographics of where your patients are coming from, the types of procedures, all of that, where your practice is, all impact kind of how long and how far that non-compete is. And so I think if we think about a buyer, right, from a buyer's perspective, and we're thinking about what they need to be concerned or what they need to know when they're looking at a rural practice or urban is where are patients coming from, right? If I'm in a rural practice, that's probably, you know, the fingers are probably fanned out pretty far into the company and counties and even states. And you're probably pulling patients from multiple directions, maybe 50, 60, 70 miles out, depending on where the practice is and what you're doing. On the flip side, if I'm in DC or Dallas, I may only be pulling patients depending on where and how dense my urban location is from two, three, four miles, right? So like that non-compete distance can really vary. Now, what's legally able, all of those things really, you know, are important to consider. But if we just talk about where I'm pulling patients from, that will guide what that legal doc, kind of what we agree upon. And for you to understand the risk of pulling patients out from like a wider swath to a smaller swath and like how that should impact the price and the other terms of what you're kind of negotiating with, with the seller. Well, the biggest risk I see is for the for the young person to go to this area, right? So they have a reason that they're going to go to a big spring, Texas. Now, if we get lucky and this young man or woman has no ties to big spring, Texas, and they want to go work there with this doctor, and the doctor wants to enforce a seven-mile, two-county non-compete, my conversation I have with the buyer is pretty simple. Look, this thing doesn't work out. What are your chances you're going to stay in Big Spring? They're like, none. Okay, then sign the freaking non-compete, okay? Because it's not a big deal. If you're from Big Spring, that is where you're from. Most important, that's where your wife is from. Or if you are the female doctor, that's where you're from. I am so concerned about your non-compete because that's where you're going to be. And that needs to be the upfront conversation, in my opinion. You already know you're going there. I would have that conversation as a D3 I would know this is where I'm going to be. 
and I'm going to set up shop. I'm going to do the following. And if you're comfortable, I'd like to quote unquote date you for six months. And if we can figure this out, build a transition team around us, then I'll move forward, sign what I need to sign and, and make this, you know, a partnership. But I'm not signing something, you know, that I'm going to 10 mile non-compete for three years. I can't tell you the number of times, a hundred times that I've seen people do that. And it drives me crazy that they didn't think that through. And so you need to know you are in the driver's seat when you're going to these markets, when you are from there, you got ties there, and the family's from there, the husband, the dad, you know, the father-in-law, they all have these connections in the bank and the region and the football team. And this is like, you got to know that you're in charge. And so this has to be negotiated up front. And this, this message to my seller as well, when you're listening, is you got to know that too. And you got to be flexible. And this is, could be competition, but don't be terrified by it. You've got your 2,000 active patients. You've got your million dollar practice. You're making 450 grand. If, if little 26-year-old you know Johnny or Susie wants to go do a startup down the street three months or six months after they've checked a few hygiene patients, let them go down the street. They're not going to compete. I mean, it's going to take them a long time to get up the hill. And I would tell them that as well. The value of the two of you working together, both buyer and seller, in that type of environment is going to be amazing. Because both of you have a story. You can kind of work off each other, figure out what procedures you've been referring out, and then start to work on those and get trained up on those. And, and then really make a great partnership and then a mentorship relationship going back and forth. And it just turns into be a beautiful marriage and doctors able to pull the equity out, transition those patients to that young doctor, but just don't draw the line in the sand and get all hung up on the non-compete. Let's try to work this out together and share that enough. You're looking for two people that are saying, how can we make this work in these types of environments? And we're going to be really successful if you can get over these small, small little homes. Yeah. And we see all the time, you know, in these kind of agreements where it's maybe like a grace period's given, like for the first six months, like there's no non-compete, you know, or for the first year or whatever the, the time period is, because like you said, there's no risk that this person's going to come in and within two months, take all your patients, but you need maybe a little bit of time, especially if they're from there and that's a concern to them to figure out like, do we mesh? Like, is this like, you can like each other personally all day long, but do, can we actually work together? And is this actually going to be a good fit? Is this serious? And then if so, then that's great. And you move on and the non-compete can become effective, but you've given each other a chance to kind of make sure that that works. And before kind of ruling someone, you know, outside of that for however long. And it's not always just true in like super small towns. Like we've seen this in a lot. The last one I saw was like in Louisiana, their non-competes are by parish. And so, you know, kind of outside of a certain parish and kind of adjoining parishes. And that puts you so far out, even in kind of a, what you may not consider rural, it may be something a little bit like kind of in between that, that urban and rural location. So let's talk a little bit about like competition and demographics and how that changes outside of that non-compete angle. You know, I think it's important. I had a call the other day and someone was going to they were looking at a practice and they were concerned because there were a lot of other practices kind of in the vicinity. So it felt like a lot based on the population of the town. But, you know, we asked him, I, you know, we were just talking and asking some questions about, well, what do those practices look like and kind of what, you know, how old are they, you know, that type of thing. And I think from a buyer's perspective, understanding, like, if you just look at a map and see them is different than understanding what they actually are. And when this buyer dove a little bit further, what they realized was, 
a couple of the practices that were actually like full time just had older docs in them that were not kind of growing. Kind of you could tell they were just by age and looking at the website, they were just older. But a lot of the practices were just satellite offices, right? So they were only open one or two days a week. And they were satellite locations from other providers who had more, you know, their primary office was kind of further away. And I think those are great opportunities sometimes if the demographics and you, you kind of have to do a little bit more digging and how many days those satellite offices are open and what that looks like. But to me, those providers in other areas have said, hey, this is a good location and this is an area we're not pulling from. It doesn't have a good base. So if I can buy a practice and be a full-time option and put in the marketing and kind of grow that, you know, older doc who's kind of selling me the hundred percent and isn't really trying anymore. If I can pull that and kind of grow it, that's a great opportunity for growth. So I think it's just also kind of understanding you have to be a little bit more, you have to dig in a little more in a rural area to really understand the practices that exist and then the population. Well, look, man, I've seen this so many times where people pull demographics, dentographics type reports, and they'll look at the numbers and, you know, they know from they're looking for a, a 3,000 to 1 population. Okay. There's um, a dentist and you're looking for ideally a situation where there's at least 2,000 people per the dentist. And so go to Big Spring, Texas, and back again, you're number 28,000. I think we're probably making this up. I don't know if it's real or not but 28,000 people and all of a sudden your quick Google or your dentographics report basically shows 14 dentists. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, that's your job is to take it a, a step further. You'd look at each of those 14 and figure out that perhaps there is two corporate clinics that are focusing their practice on Medicaid. Okay. Now we're down to 12. Then we got a denture clinic in there, you know, so now we're down to, to 11. We've got two part-time or satellite offices. You know, now we're down to nine. Then you've got, of the remaining nine, you've got four offices where the guys are over 60. And of those, you have called and they are booked out. Okay, so the first, like, stab at this, you may see that ah, it's not too bad. It's got 2001. It could be a freaking gold mine. Number one, you're from there. This is where you want to be. And then you start diving into those practices. This is definitely something you're marketing to. And you can pick up some, some really good opportunities here, especially if you are a specialist and there is a part-time office in that community, like a one-day-a-week type office, two-day-a-week you know, surgery, orthodontic office, something like that. You're going to be the full-time person. Oh, my gosh. This is an amazing opportunity. So of all specialties and GPs, you got to do your homework. You can't just look at numbers and move on. I just want to find the 3,000, 3,500 to one, and that's where I'm going to go. This is the area you want to be. Do the due diligence inside of those and then figure this out. Literally call these offices, see how far they're booked out, what insurance they're taking, Medicaid, whatever it may be. And then I've seen it where dentists have like the city blown up, you know, on their wall. They got little red pens for the GPs, the green pens for these specialists. And then they've got notes, you know, written out, you know, corporate Medicaid, they've got a county that they're drawing on it. I mean, that's the type of thing you got to think of yourself when corporate America looks at businesses, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, whatever, they are doing their demographics studies. They know households, they know businesses, they know roads that are all coming in. That's why they put their shops there. That's why they don't go out of business because they've done their homework. So what we're trying to do is educate and motivate you that don't be afraid sometimes when the numbers don't look right 
just pick up that phone and, and pick up that computer and do some additional work. And just because someone's saying those numbers don't make sense, you need to prove that out to make sure that it doesn't make sense. Absolutely. I think that is very sage advice, Mr. Loretto. And I also feel like these practices, when we talk about just the difference, right? And we've covered kind of a lot of topics like the valuation and the timing and the non-compete and where it is and what to look for. I think when it kind of comes down to it, what we're talking about is that every transition is unique. Where a practice is very much impacts all of those things that we talk about in the various episodes that we've had thus far. What are your terms? What are your transition? How am I negotiating the associate agreement if I'm going to do that before I buy it? What is the price? How long are you staying on? What does that referral network look like? And sometimes those rural locations will require a little bit more digging and a little bit more research and a little bit more kind of out of the box thinking to make it work. But they can be very, very profitable and they can be really good solutions and really good ownership opportunities for you. You know, but if that's not your cup of tea, the urban has its own set of challenges and own set of kind of making sure that, you know, from a competition standpoint, is it too dense, right? Is this going to be able to continue? And so I think that overall understanding and again, just being educated about the differences and why kind of wherever your kind of life leads you, you're going to be able to kind of look at those and kind of understand why your friend's practice that they bought in Dallas is going to be different than the practice you're considering in Big Springs or vice versa. So anything else before we wrap up here today, sir? Well, I was, the same due diligence I just got through talking about with regards to that rule, don't be afraid of the urban area that, that you want to be in and just see all those dentists. Again, look at, do that same level of work in that area to figure out that, yeah, there's a bunch of dentists, the dentist population doesn't make sense, but you know, here's some older doctors, here's what they're referring out. They're all fee for service. This is my plan, especially if you're a specialist. So don't be afraid. I hear that so many times, like, oh, I've just done it. It just looks so really scary. There's like dentists, you know, everywhere. You know, if you buy a business, the key thing is if you buy a business in those urban areas with a dentist on every corner, and there's 2000 active patients in that practice, I'm not concerned for you. I would be concerned if you didn't start up there because now you're all fighting and marketing for those patients. You better tell me that you're a marketing genius. You better call old Gabe, you know, that we interviewed a couple of weeks ago. You know, you better call Gabe and get some Gabe consulting uh, because that, that guy knows how to do a startup. But um, don't be afraid when you're buying something in a competitive area because those active patients are going to be there. They're going to stay with you. I'm more cautious if we're doing a startup in that area. I really want to have like a really good backup plan. So we talked a lot of big picture stuff here. We talked, you know, areas where, you know, we got concentration and areas where there's opportunities and, you know, we need to figure out from you what it is that you're looking for as a buyer and then as a seller, set some real realistic expectations on value, realistic expectations on timing and just risk of this transition for you. So glad we could put this together. I know it was a good topic. And so, all right, well, that's it we have. That's all we got on this one today. Thanks for joining us on episode 64. Crazy 64. Next episode, we're going to focus on a few unique problems we see clients facing and providing some tips on solutions. So it should be a fun kind of topic where we, you know, just kind of get to dive into some of the real life problems we're seeing every day uh, as we have these calls with you and, and figure out how to make your transition work. So until then, make sure to share the transition love with those who may not know us. And of course, subscribe to Transition Talk wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, have a good one. All right. Thanks, Christy.